Blog Talk Radio. Come back home to Africa. Come back home 
Yes, Baro Maniko, Baro Maniko, Indora, Baro Mayako, Baro Mayakanda. You are now listening live and always in archive at your leisure and convenience to the Divine Prince, Pan-African spiritualist, practitioner, author, and advisor, Elagoon Oloye, Hudu Obeya Okor, sharing with you in all things spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, universal, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a Pan-African Hudu world spiritualist perspective. Understanding that all is truly and indeed a blessing. If you can just see beyond the veils, for it is all just an illusion and a test, one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. This is my constant prayer, my mantra, affirmation, reverberation, reiteration, and my ever living reality. And it is crucial to the very foundation of my understanding, my teaching, my walk, my works, my demonstration along this divine, all-blessed life path and journey. It is how I, the Divine Prince, make sense out of all that we are challenged with here in our daily existence on Mother, Father Earth. And it is my personal place of power and understanding that place from where I begin, the place from where I realize and crystallize all my endeavors, understanding that I and I alone create and co-create my divine destiny, and I and I alone create. And so it is, I say. Today is Friday, November 23rd, 2018. I am emanating and vibrating with you and for you, live, virtually, verbally, cosmically, quantum universally from this working temple of the house of the divine prince. Thai potions, hoodoo central, black hawk voodoo, in this legendary, historic, beautiful, and most enchanted city in America, New Orleans, Louisiana, the land of my ancestors, and those who came before me along this spiritualist hoodoo obeya life path journey, passing down the great obeya stick along with the knowledge of the healing life-giving herbs, roots, plants, rituals, spirits, and minerals. I am humbled by each and every one of you who takes time in the middle of your day at high noon U.S. Central Standard Time to be a part of the Power Lunch revolutionary hoodoo, New Orleans voodoo secrets and recipes here on Blog Talk Radio, blogtalkradio.com forward slash the hyphen divine hyphen prince. My live listening and calling number is area code 347-215-8967, I invite you to press the number one on your telephone keypad when you are ready with your questions, comments, or requests. Also, my website where I can be reached virtually 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, operating in 360 degrees of well-documented revelation and manifestation is www.houseofthedivineprince.com. I also invite you to visit me and Historic Tremaine and our sacred story, www.our 
sacredstories.com. All is truly and indeed a blessing. I am because my creators are all-powerful, open, and receptive to all that operates for my good here and now in this divine moment in time space. I create and recreate my divine destiny, and I am because my creators are without beginning or ending. I am eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all possibilities are available to us to choose as we create and recreate our existence, our reality from our own personal understanding, our own personal well of knowledge via experience, that knowledge which is taught, that knowledge which is conferred upon us, that knowledge which is passed on to us. And as we continue our story, our theme for this week, as the conflict over slavery heated up and as news of the Vesey conspiracy broke in 1822 and word spread about the rebellion of Nat Turner in 1831, a great fear enveloped whites, afraid for their lives, their investments, the civil peace, and the preservation of the Southern way of life. Whites demanded and their state legislators passed laws curtailing the rights of African Americans to assemble, to worship, to become literate, to do much more except under scrutiny controlled, strictly controlled circumstances and and intense scrutiny. And at the same time, this fear and anxiety was producing an outpouring of concern to make Christians of the slaves in the hopes that they might learn to turn the other cheek and to accept their lot in life. We have to look at the history. We have to look at the legacy. We have to look at the facts, if you will. There was an agreement in Cuba and in the Catholic world south of the border to allow the enslaved Africans to maintain their drumming, their dancing, their their performance as the oppressors saw it, only under the guise that they would accept Catholicism. The lot of the African enslaved in America north of the border was different and unique to any other part of the enslaved world. And so not only did legislators pass laws, the Black Code was erected here in Louisiana and Louisiana Territory to further restrict our ability to come together in spiritual terms. The battle has been and always has been over spirituality and religion of the enslaved Africans battle on all fronts, and all fronts are legitimate to to uh, partic- participate in political, economic, educational, I- entertainment. But we must stand up and recognize the ancestors that are demanding to be acknowledged in this present moment in time space, acknowledged through us, through our demonstration through our authenticity, 
to what we say we believe. The time for hiding has passed. The time for masking behind has passed. The time for continuing on in a belief system and a community associated with that belief system only for the sake of, of basic survival needs, housing, food, shelter, to some degree, what is reputation if you're not standing in your truth? Who are you, really, if you're not standing in your truth? So this fear has always been present. This fear is not new. The the fear and, and legacy of New Orleans voodoo forever lives on and continues to live on in each and every one of us who honor and acknowledge it today. In the early decades of the 19th century, Christianity had made little or no inroads among blacks for fear that we might literally take these narratives of the book of Exodus and act them out, as had been already demonstrated by the Haitian Revolution. The Haitian Revolution only increased the fear of the self-empowered enslaved African, only increased the fear of the African whose consciousness could not be erased, reprogrammed at the innermost level. I, I always say, and love to say, if you can count before you enter the middle passage, no amount of oppression is going to remove your ability to count. You might now have to learn to count in French or Spanish or Portuguese. But if you could count before, you can still count thereafter. And if you can count, then you are still connected to your rhythms, your drum patterns, your dances, the movements, and the spirits and ancestors associated with this movement. But as the crisis of fear spread across the South, Suddenly, rather impressive efforts were made to address the needs of the souls of the black folk. These were well-organized evangelistic endeavors, particularly in those areas with large plantations. Congregations stepped up their appeals and refined their approaches to African Americans. Preachers and planters alike urged them to fill the galleries and special seating that was set aside for these honored guests. Some owners were even motivated to build praise houses on their land and recruited black preachers to proclaim the Lord's name, as long as, of course, as a white foreman was present to monitor things so that they did not get out of hand. Overseer was always ever present. Large slaveholders like the Reverend Charles Colcock Jones work to comprise a Christian premiere of slaves to install teachings that were designed as a response to the portents of revolution and to serve as preventative measures to any insurrection. I did, do not mean to suggest that the whole effort to evangelize slaves was motivated by concern for safety. Certainly there were numbers of whites who cared about blacks, both as persons possessing immortal souls and as friends with names. Many others saw the mission 
to the slave as an unfolding of God's divine plan, and that these early evangelistic efforts as the first step in a long process that would eventually lead to the converting of the heathen of the dark continent. But there were many others who sought to pacify and comfort the slaves, to make them more dutiful and surreal, and to defer any gratification they might have longed for in this life or into the next life. In other words, the motive of white Southerners were decidedly mixed. Often there were genuine recognition of the human needs of African Americans, but rare was a time when members of the ruling race, the oppressors, would overlook the unique caste and economic status of black people. It would be difficult to determine whose religion that of African-Americans or that of whites was more profoundly affected by the preoccupation with racial matters during the antebellum period. On the surface, it would appear that the religion of black people was, but the reality is that both profoundly affected. Very little of what the white church attempted and accomplished from 1830 to the Civil War remained free of racial and interracial considerations. By the standards of the early 19th century, African Americans were said to be a wretched stock of heathen, in utter darkness of a loathsome pagan idolatry. Various plantation owners expressed a concern that superstitions brought from Africa have not been wholly laid aside. Witchcraft, alleged superstitions, and fetishes practices were often cited as evidence that the plantation slaves refused to abandon African paganism for American Christianity. There certainly may have been an element of truth to these observations about the persistence of African-American spirituality in the face of efforts of whites to erase it. The Ashanti had a folk saying that no one shows a child the supreme being. No one a child the supreme being. Although the African's world was was populated by a uh, plurality of powers, including the forces of nature and a legion of magical spirits, most tribes believed in a supreme being who was viewed as a creator giver of rain and sunshine, the all-seeing one, the, the most high, the one who exists unto itself. Moreover, traditional African religion made no distinction between the sacred and the secular. All of life, not part, was sacred. Nor was there any sense of a division between this life and the one to come. All of life was part of a continuum in which both the living and the dead took long before their contact with whites. Africans were a strongly religious and deeply spiritual people. The African belief in one supreme being is a realistic distinction between good and evil in lesser spiritual powers, and in creation as the handiwork of God, paralleled much 
in the Hebraic background of the Christianity. These similarities lessened the cultural shock as the African came into contact with the tenets of white evangelicalism. But on occasion there was conflict. A white Methodist reported an aged Negro to whom he had been trying to explain the dogma of the Trinity once asked which of the three was the head man to which he should go when asking for anything. During the early history of slavery, the Africanism that were retained in African-American spirituality were often seen to be, by whites, a pagan faith. These rituals and dogmas were variously described as voodoo, hoodoo, witchcraft, superstition, root-working, conjure, and were particularly prominent among the Gullah speakers of South Carolina. Whites often commented on these pagan practices and fetishes and were threatened by them. As a result, great effort was expended on eradicating these practices, and many were lost within a generation. The degree to which whites were successful in this, however, is the subject of great debate. Melville J. Herkesovitz has advanced the thesis that the success of Baptists in attracting blacks was rooted in the appeal of immersion, which suggests connection in the slave's mind with the river spirits in the West African religions. Others have attacked this position, including the black scholar E. Franklin Frazier, who argues that enslavement largely destroyed the social basis of religion among blacks and that the appeal of Baptists to blacks concerning the emotional content of their worship, Stanley Elkin, whose views were heavily influenced by what took place in the concentration camps of World War II in Europe, he argued, like Fraser, that slavery was demeaning that blacks, like the Jews in their camps, were eventually stripped of every shred of dignity and humanity, including their faith. John Blasingame, on the other hand, has provided a significant body of evidence that blacks hung on to their religion as a form of resistance. That is why this show is revolutionary, who do New Orleans voodoo secrets and recipes. That's why this show is a revival of our understanding about who we are, about what we fought for, even through the most darkest hours and years and decades of oppression, and what we were able to maintain, though masked, though cloaked behind other things, though hidden behind other symbols. And here in North America, we had no choice with the black code and lynching and, and legislation put in place to curtail any attempt to gather, to connect with what is visceral to us, to, to what is second nature to us, was never successful in, in any way. And so religion itself, consciousness itself, has taken on a form of resistance within our community that cannot be understated. 
what is clear is that African Americans were fairly quick to adopt the prevailing evangelical culture. Denominations such as the Episcopalians and the Presbyterians, which stressed order, did not attract the slaves. Most African Americans instead gravitated to the emotionalism of the Methodists and the Baptists. Indeed, in a number of ways, the religion of the South black population shared much more in common with the evangelical Protestantism, Protestantism of the region's whites than it derived from it. After all, it was the evangelicals among Southern whites who were motivated to bring the slaves to the Christian faith. These evangelicals imparted to the black church many of their forms and practices. You may recall that we talked at some point in our discussion about the argument of black churches preserving intact several forms of expression that characterized white evangelicals in the 19th century, as opposed to those distinctly Afrocentric connotations that maintain, even until today, in many of these evangelical and, and Baptist communities that reverberate back to our consciousness pre-enslavement, pre-passage, before all this, this drama even began. Those vibrations, those energies, that ashe cannot be extinguished, cannot be removed. And so we will continue to shout and rejoice and clap our hands and stomp our feet in reminding ourselves of who we once were and the power of who we can become as a collective of whole individuals, as a collective of healed individuals. There is no voodoo without nature. So it is implied there is also no voodoo without healing, every aspect of our honor and worship also is an act and a doorway into the healing. And the healing must take place. Part of the run, part of the thing that you are running from, and not you as an individual, but, but, but the community as a collective, from religion to religion, philosophy to philosophy, mindset to mindset, you know, magical way of thinking that somehow erases all the trauma. That is the run. And and, and I say, as I've, I've always said, you can run, but you cannot outrun your destiny. You cannot outrun your ancestors, for it exists and it stands up in your blood, it stands up in your DNA. And so these wrongs have to be not only righted, have to be healed. Part of the, the misconception in the society is that we can right a wrong, present a le- legislation, write a law, establish a new protocol, and that somehow that then fixes things. And, and the source, the root, is not considered. The power of the root is, is not just in its volcanical application, 
It's not just in its magical, symbolic application. It's not just, you know, in it being ground down into a powder and, and applied to your grigri, to your hoodoo. But indeed, it is about healing. Healing. And healing operates in a holistic, cyclical, dimensional space. It is a circle. Address healing if you don't renew the mind, if you don't renew the heart, if you don't renew the spirit, if you don't look at what we're eating, what we're putting into our bodies, what we're consuming every day. The pus and mucus of, of animals, dead carcasses of, of, of animals, expecting it to then produce life. Artificial this, synthesize that. And we expect to say we can think clearly and make our own decisions autonomously while consuming darkness, while consuming negativity, even at those most basic levels of our being. So you might be the, the vegan of the year. You might be the vegetarian of the year. But if you're then still feeding your soul, your spirit, your mind, that matter, that sustenance, which is not life-giving, which is not cleansing, which is not purifying, which is not healing, which is not edifying, which is not empowering, then I say and always will say then, then you're operating ego. You have nothing. For indeed, spirit is more real, more tangible, more evident than anything we can envision in the physical realm. So we must be renewed within our minds, within our hearts, within our spirits when we approach voodoo. Voodoo must be taken out of the realm of some remedial application to, to fix people's immediate problems. And indeed, there are result-oriented processes within voodoo that are tangible, that are real, that, are, that can be documented, that can be looked at. But it's not the act of taking the magic pill and all things come, come together. There's homework necessary. There's something that we all have to do to own God and God consciousness to further our own development as a light being, as a spirit, as a part of this collective universal energy. We each have a responsibility. We each have a job to do. And as always, I invite you to prepare your questions, comments, requests, criticism. I'm open to all forms of communication. My problem is when people don't communicate. My problem is when people assume my problem is when people make up stuff. My problem is when people spread ignorance. My problem is when people choose to be woefully ignorant. My problem is when people don't seek answers about some clarity about something. And, and I like to go directly to the source. If I have a question, if it's something that I'm trying to understand, I'm going to ask you about it. <laughs> so please, if you will, our number is area code 347-215-8967, 347-215-8967. Do press the number one on your telephone keypad when you are ready with your questions, comments, requests, and I'll be more than happy to unmute your mic 
can bring you into this squared circle of God and goddesses. Indeed, voodoo is worldwide. Voodoo worldwide. It's not in the closet. It's not archaic and exists only in the past. It's not something that is confined to the history books. These spirits continue to live, continue to survive, continue to push us forward, continue to support us, continue to seek our good and our best interest if we would just acknowledge, if we would just humble ourselves to acknowledge, and then we can build a foundation, build a foundation upon which we can have a relationship. And a relationship requires communication. All is truly and indeed a blessing. I'll see you Monday at high noon, U.S. Standard Time, here on Blog Talk Radio. All is indeed a blessing. I say. Congo Square. The Omas Indians. The Omas Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. A sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. The Omas Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. Congo Square, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. And as the colonizers came, our hosts, the Omas Indians, they pushed aside our hosts. The colonizers came and pushed aside our hosts and introduced us in chains. And by the late 1700s, we somehow, recognizing the sacredness of Les Places de Congo, we somehow, and the how of our somehow persuasive methodologies is not clear at this moment. The how is not clear. How our persuasive methodologies worked is not clear at this moment. But nevertheless, even as slaves, we crafted and created a space where we could be free to be we. And thusly, thusly we countered the sacrilegiousness of the French, giving great homage to our ancestors as well as giving praise and thanks to our red-blooded brothers and sisters. This is an oral libation toast to Congo Square, to Native Americans, to our ancestors who made a circle out of a square and gave us a way to stay ourselves, save ourselves from the transformatory ugliness of America, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life and celebrates death with crosses and crosses, double and triple crosses, the middle passage, the first cross, Christianity, the double cross, and capitalism, the ultimate triple coup de grace cross of our captivity. But the terror of crosses notwithstanding, we sang. We 
beat. We be, we was and is. Hail Congo Square. Congo, Congo Square. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated inside the beat of us. Inside the beat of us. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated, retreated inside the beat of us until we are ready to release them into a world that we recreate. A world harrowed by the beat. Be, beat, being, beating, being of black heart drums. Heart beat. Heart beat. Heart beat at this place. At this place, beat, heart beat, beat. We beating place in new world space. Beating, being in place in new world, preserving our ancient pace. Our dance is the God walk. Our music, the God talk. First thing we do, let's get together. Circle ourselves into community. No beginning, no end. Connected together and singing, ringing, Singing in a ring. Second, let's be original, aboriginal. Be what we were before we became what we are. Be bambula dance. Be banza music. And sing song words which have no English translation. Third, let us remember. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. The bounce, the blood, flow, the feel, the spirit, grow, energy, must retain and pass on the essential us-ness that others want to dissipate with out of us. But no matter, no matter how much of us they prohibit, no matter how much of us they prohibit, Deep inside us is us. Deep inside us is us. Remains us inside and needs only the beat to set us free. The beat to free us. It is morning. A sun day. A feel. A feel. Without shade, but dark. Dark with the people black of us in various, various, various shades. Eclipsing the sun with our elegance. 
We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember, to beat, to be. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us to remember. To beat, to be, beat Congo Square, be Congo Square, beat, be, beat, be. Congo Square. Beat. 